Hi, this is Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 9 of the clarinet.com podcast. In today's episode, I speak with the Swedish clarinet superstar Martin Frost, who is one of the world's preeminent clarinetists. He's performed the Mozart and Weber concerti hundreds of times and is known for also championing new works, such as those of Anders Hilborg, which incorporate elements of dance. He has an extensive discography that has been met with critical acclaim, and in our conversation, we discuss his latest disc called Roots, which is a journey through the sources of the clarinet repertoire. If this is your first time tuning into the podcast, I want to just take a second to thank you for having a listen, and I I really do hope that you enjoy it. I also want to invite you to not only check out the past episodes, but also to uh, follow on social media to stay up to date, and that will also give you a chance to win items that are mentioned on the show. You can like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can listen and subscribe on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you do find that you enjoy the podcast, it would be really great if you would also leave a review on iTunes, and if you would fill out the listener survey at clarineat.com slash podcast. That's clarineat.com slash podcast. Today's giveaway is a signed copy of Martin Frost's latest CD called Roots. Before we get started, I just wanted to thank one more time everybody who submitted listener questions. We had an absolute ton submitted, and uh, I do hope that you found the interview I curated here covered a a wide range of topics and and really touched on as many areas as possible. Um, The good news is Martin's going to come back for a second round, and uh, we'll be able to address a few more questions in that. But of course, we had a limited time, and it was just, it would have been impossible to get through absolutely everything, but... Thanks so much for taking the time to send that in. Without further ado, here's the interview with Martin Frost. Hi, Martin, and welcome to the clarinet.com podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with you today. I would like to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Great to be on the show. Thank you. So a lot of listeners wanted to know how it is that you got your start with the clarinet, um, but I've seen in other interviews that you mentioned uh, you were playing violin, I believe, and uh, the turning point was when you heard Jack Brimer's Mozart clarinet concerto recording when you were, when you were younger. Um, so this is where your career sort of sprouted, um, but what helped you take root as a clarinetist? What ignited your, your passion for the clarinet and continues to ignite it today? Well, as you said, I think... I was living in the north part of Sweden. I, I was, uh, you know, um, string, uh, string instrument and piano and, and, and voice was was very present and very clear for me. But wind instrument, I didn't come across so much before. And uh, I'm sure I couldn't uh, separate an oboe for a clarinet, uh, from a clarinet in this time. But when I heard Mozart, clarinet concerto, I sort of... I, 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 Probably was the music that I f- fell in love with first, and then the sound of the clarinet. And uh, my father was very quick of, uh, with giving instrument as soon as you had the yeah. He, he gave me a violin, the piano, and a clarinet, saxophone, and, and so I tried a lot. And then I just, I think the clarinet was uh, was a good instrument for me after violin. So that's a little bit about how you got your roots. And uh, speaking of roots, that of course reminds me of your latest disc. Roots came out just a few weeks ago, I believe. And um, its intention, you mentioned in the introductory video, was to travel through the sources of the clarinet repertoire. It's a great, great CD, and I congratulate you on its on its achievement. Um, the piece has come across extremely well live, and based on what I've seen online, um, though I do wonder, what was it like to create that in the studio without a live audience? 
the the program was as you said the program was uh, created as a live program so it was a non-stop program 35 minutes linked together every pieces in in a very i i put quite much work to uh, get them key-wise, uh, theme-wise, sort of together. And, and they were 35 minutes non-stop on the first half and then an intermission and then 35 minutes more non-stop mm -hmm. with music. As you said, it start with the first performance and then going into to Mesomedes Greek hymns and into Hildegard von Bingen and through, not totally chronological, but, but it was quite much... Uh, uh, through the whole music history. And um, to, to put it on the recording was a t t totally different story because we did that before. So we, uh, we, before we did the concert, before we, so it was rehearsal, recording in, in a couple of days. And uh, after that, we started uh, a couple of months later with the, with the uh, rehearsal for the concert. So it was two different things. Mm -hmm. But I tried to get... Yeah, I get some of the feeling in the in the recording as well because I put uh, a couple of tracks beside each other, which no silence between the tracks, uh, so they were linked in together in, in, in some of the tracks, which I think worked quite well. Mm -hmm. Probably other artists have done the same, but I think for me it was quite new. I never done it before, and. Um, yeah, but maybe that was not the question. What was the question? <laughs> I just—I think you kind of answered it there. It was how did you bring the same life and energy to the pieces without the audience, yeah. or did you feel that the pieces sort of yeah. had that's such? A, that's a question that is quite. Uh, that, you know, that, that, that's a good question. It's, it's a question that is generally for all recordings. Don't you think so? Mm -hmm. uh, but there's yeah. some recordings like you—you you just mentioned. This one was sort of intended for live live um, yeah. concert scenarios, but I think there's other times where people sort of more reflect inward during the recording process and try and create something sort of different. But it, yeah, it's the pieces have such fantastic energy yourself, in themselves, sorry. It's all, I mean, all music are meant to be live, of course, and all music... Um, that's like, in, in, the, in the concert, what is special about the concert actually is it's every music is linked together. And I'm talking within in the music and, and between the pieces. All all that it is in the speeches uh, in the music is around uh, genesis, roots. Where do we come from, and where are we going with the music? And what are the? Uh, for example, I have one theme is is, uh, is around the ears. We we don't have old ears. Mm -hmm. We have new. Ears. Which means that we cannot listen in the on the music. We cannot listen to the music in the same way as as the people uh, in in most of times or whichever time you pick did. And um, that also means that we are in the same time that we uh, are inspired or when we think of the past, that what influenced us from the past. In the same time, we have to admit that we are influencing the past. Do you think what I mean? Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, yeah. So, so I think um, the way, the way when we, when we do a recording or performing live, I think it's so fascinating that we are sort of reincarnating the pieces and we are play them again and again and again. And each time they are reborn or, or, and they are reflecting our time in a very, very, uh, specific way so so we are i mean i'm 
the first one said it's fantastic to play Mozart on the Basset clarinet and, and play with all the great con- conductors that are, some of them are specialized on, on, on early music and you learn a lot and you try to find out what Mozart really wanted with the concerto. In the same time, you have to admit that you don't know at all how it was, you don't know how it sounded in this time. So what we do, we, we are, I think we are creating our sound world of today and that is also influencing the past and influence the past mm-hmm. so it's double both way works and sometimes we are wrong sometimes we're right and sometimes so you can't really and i think that is also reflecting the whole music in uh, the recording industry of today that if you listen to our, our older pianists it sounds so different uh, of the pianist today definitely so, that's how it should be, and, and I think it's interesting. Um, but your question around uh, how do you do in the recording process, for me, actually, it's always been an interesting thing to record because I get very excited when I record, which means I don't think I'm so safe when I record, as, as in concert. Um, I think I try to develop the same adrenaline and the same spirit in the recording, uh, and actually, that's nothing strange. I'm not sure if everyone does that. But, uh, I feel that if you just go for it, I mean, if you, if it doesn't work, you can you can take it again, or you can. Yeah, no, it sounds fantastic. Um, you're quoted in 2012 in an interview, uh, I believe, backstage with the Luxembourg rehearsals, um, is saying that you consider yourself to be a very curious musician, but not very versatile. Um, I found this very surprising. Would you explain what you meant by this comment? The versatile could be like you are very broad as an artist, you can do everything and you just do it. I think I always go out on a, on, on a, on a, on a side, on a, on a wide side, or, or going on, on the edge, what I'm sometimes not so good at. I mean, if I meet an artist or meet a, a composer, I try always to challenge myself which is also a part of my education because I, if I only do things that I feel comfortable, I would be in big trouble because that's how I work as, as an artist. I um, I like to be um, searching out in different fields that I'm, I'm not so comfortable in. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm doing that, but um, and I think it's just different. Yeah, sorry? Would you say the versatility kind of depends on one's perspective then? I mean, for you, this is, like, the clarinet obviously is your life, and these things, the new repertoire, the old repertoire, that kind of is the clarinet. So maybe it doesn't, to you, seem versatile, even though to some people it may seem that way? Yeah, maybe right. Maybe because I... People think, I get that question sometimes as well, do you want to break the rules or, or, you know, try to... But but that's never has never been any to, to just break codes for what we're doing. I mean, I could be provoked by all all the rules that we are sort of what is what is what is classical music and what is modern and what is uh, this kind of way of thinking. But in the same time, um, I'm quite traditional in my thinking. I when I go to concert, I. I Love to to have an overture and a concerto and, and, and a symphony and just uh, shut up mm-hmm. and listen. But if I do that a lot, uh, then then I get an urge to, to, to do something else. And um, it, it's the same. I think everything is in the same 
um, for example, if you take clarinet techniques, I, I um, find out that uh, in the same way I'm getting excited or, or interested or curious in, in doing as in recording here, the latest recording I had, singing and playing in a new technique. I don't know if you heard that. Oh, yeah, if, definitely. Uh, that is a sort of I, I, I circular breathing and then I relax my my vocal cords and I can sing and I wanted to, to do that in concert and I also do the beatboxing which was a coincidence or an accident when I realized that could be uh, uh, actually done on live and even in the mics works very well so um, I am curious to find new ways and that makes me maybe versatile I don't know but I don't I I, I see myself as going on different journeys, make myself more uh, complete as an artist and as a, as a musician. The same, the same thing with conducting or or just directing an orchestra, which I do because I like it, but also it gives me uh, lots of things as as a clarinet player. When I come back to playing a, a normal concerto by Nielsen or Mozart and having a conductor besides me, I have learned a lot doing all these things by, by myself with a, directing an orchestra. So. Perhaps one other reason you don't feel it's particularly versatile when you look at the new repertoire um, versus the old. I mean, some people put a very clear line there, but to the roots a concept again, time is, is very smooth. It never, it never stops. There are no breaks. Great. So Great you maybe you connect Perfect. back. That, that's what Roots is about. The whole Genesis project or the Roots project is exactly by that. I put uh, on the Shieldborn new first performance beside Greek hymns. And you can hear, no, actually mm-hmm. I play the hymn within his piece. And then going into Hildegard and then coming from uh, Telemann into Piazzolla. And it's like putting the music upside down and just continue playing. It's actually very related. All the music that is we hear. And also when I listen to, a, 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 let's say, a first performance or even if you hear a piece by, let's say, Lotuslavsky, or you can hear the whole music history be behind that composer in that piece. It's like layer on layer that you, you hear how the vibration of the whole music is there. So I think everything is here and now, mm-hmm. whatever you do. And maybe that makes me versatile. But I, I think the time is over then when you when you really have to say I see sometimes very right, oh I have done a lot of modern music, but in the same time I record all the repertoire that I think is great repertoire in the past that are what I have done. I play 99% all the uh, the clarinet repertoire and then I do projects which I think is interesting and I, of course I did first performance but that's one of the most important thing to do I mean represent your own time and try to develop new repertoire but I don't uh, segregate I don't how do you say I don't split them up I think mm-hmm. they are linked together as you said well, and it yeah. makes sense to do mostly older repertoire because there's mostly been the past, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, also in the Roots project, I think we are into something important now in this discussion because I think also what the Roots was all about, the Roots project, you know, the Genesis project, which is called in, in sometimes when I do it live, it is around... Uh, all the sources that is important for us. The, the sacred source, the profane source, the, 
the improvisation, for example, I also use in this. I'm not an improviser myself, but I, I, I also develop some improvisation in the concert because, all, of course, that has been an important part of the music history. If you look at Bach, uh, Mozart, Beethoven, he was a great improviser, and Mendelssohn and all these kinds of mm-hmm. people, they, they were improvising. Now it's not that common in classical music that we do. And, of course, it's good to... to to develop all these things for me because I get to know repertoire better. I, I want to be more complete as an artist. So I, I, that's my education nowadays. I've done all the repertoire. I, I cannot, uh, when, when I look back in the back mirror now, I, I'm certainly, I, I certainly don't want to see myself as only a traditional clarinet play, which did, uh, 1500 Weber concertos and, and 2000 Mozart concertos. Is that um, what it's up to now? Are those real numbers? No, no sorry, I exaggerated. Oh, okay. sorry. <laughs> Maybe 500 or something like that. But well, I also did the Hilbert concerto 300 times or something wow. like that. So, but I think that it's what we should do is open new doors into the future. That's what we, we, we have to do in classical music today. And I think uh, if it you know, if it's developing new clarinet techniques or if it's de- developing new repertoires, speak to a composer who wants to do something differently now. That's everything. All these things turns me on and I want to, to be part of that. So if I just, one more question about that. You mentioned that you added improvisational elements, but you don't consider yourself an improviser. Could you go into that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's exactly true. So I did a couple of concerts. That's when I start. I, I well, I did the thing of it actually. I, I started to improvise, and I if it went well, I I went on. If it, if it didn't went well, I cut it myself, and I think I I did some. I, I will try again. But of course, I prepared. Actually, I met a, a good friend of mine. He's a jazz player uh, on on clarinet, and um, and he helped me with you know what with, with how to think, and and also one of the things he said is just. What, the only way to try is to go on stage mm-hmm. and try because it's easy to improvise in your living room but if you if you go on stage that's something else so so that's what I did and I, and what I did was I picked certain pieces which I did in improvisation in the beginning before I went into the piece in the Roots project and one of the improvisation I actually put on the recording and that was with the beatboxing, that's an, a sort of an, a written down now improvisation, but it is an improvisation from the start. So you get such an amazing sound on the clarinet, and, and many listener questions came in. You actually wouldn't believe it. I, I There was over 50 questions, um, which we oh. tried to sort of fit in here. Um, but so many people were wondering about how you achieve such a great tone and intonation. Um, I don't imagine you have much time to teach with your busy schedule, but would you take a few seconds to explain your concept of the sound and the embouchure, airstream, etc.? I mean, I, I talk, when I teach, I talk a lot about breathing, how, how to use the breathing and what to do. And I, I do a lot of exercise with breathing. Um, and then, just, well, every single uh, musician that I meet is so, they are so different. So you really have, I think you shouldn't have a concept of each. Uh, I think. Uh, I will try to really see the the person behind the instrument. It's very hard to say that this is the concept to teach, and I think that's also a sign of the great teacher that they can really see the the, the, the human being that they. Mm-hmm. Also, it has to do what kind of energy you have in your body, um, and uh, the way I play is certainly. Uh, 
different from 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 other clarinet players. So the setup that you should use and everything, you should. It's very very up to the the individual, I think. And and I'm using a lot of air. I'm using a lot of. Uh, quite much power, I think, when I play. Maybe too much sometimes, but I, I. That's the way I do. That's the energy that I have. If I lead an orchestra, if I play, I have enormous uh, energy. Uh, so I have always to have a setup that balances this kind of energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, some other player maybe have a much lighter setup. So what I use is quite much uh, wood in the in the tree in in the in the reed. And um, uh, a canter mouthpiece, which is this mouthpiece, with a, what I'm using now, is uh, I like it because it has a round and a sound, and you can really lean on it. You can push a lot of air in it. Um, well, let's talk about that a little bit because another question was sort of about. Sorry. I'm sorry, this was not your question at all, was it? Um, it was actually sort of segueing to the next one. So yeah, that's okay. perfect. Yeah. yeah, that's perfect. Um, what was this question? Many people are wondering how you achieve such an incredible sound, and I, I have a feeling that that as much as that does have to do with the equipment, it has more to do with the player. And yeah, you're totally right. But what I feel when I listen to orchestras, orchestra players, wind plays in the orchestra, and also the the the, the, the when I'm teaching. I think we one thing is to develop all this wonderful sound that I or the technique or whatever you 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 want to achieve. The other important thing is how how to use it and how to use all these tools in the music. And I think that is a much more tricky question nowadays because the way of teaching, the way of practice how to develop a great sound is always going further and, and people are getting so great in these things. Mm-hmm. But what we not develop as much, oh, well, we are developed that as well, of course, but what we should really be aware of or careful about is what we want to say or what, what, how we should use all, all these things because I think that is what I wishing or asking for when I come to an orchestra what are we because they know everything they they want they know exactly how to use the breathing and, and the support and the, uh, the articulation and everything is so good in order um, but sometimes maybe sometimes we just don't know what to say so maybe a better question than like exactly which ligature and mouthpiece you use because that's not exactly relevant for someone else but Maybe a good question is, wh- how do you select the r- correct artistic tools for the job? What do you look for? What do you hope to find? Yeah, well, th- that's what I was, was going after now. Maybe it's very tricky to, to explain, yeah. but I think sometimes I'm just listening to some uh, a student or whatever, and they have everything in very good order uh, and everything working for them. But uh, what I want to see is, for, especially the breathing, I think, with great singers or with the, you know, they, they know how to use all these things for, 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 for making exactly the music that they want to make. And if you don't know that, I think um, maybe we should also concentrate sometimes to teach more in this. Uh, and that's the most tricky thing to teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, it's in in the, the music and and to put to put these things in words is the most difficult things. Uh, I had a teacher that could spend 
at least an hour on, on, on a phrase sometimes. And suddenly he said, did you feel that? Did you feel it now? Did you have this in your body? Because now I really think this phrase uh, spoke in a fantastic way. Mm-hmm. And of course, if, if you were there after 20 or after 45 minutes, you, you felt something. And, uh, and if you felt it, your brain and your whole body recognize this feeling. And then you can take another step. And I think that was my educating magical moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing when you put all the tools together, the sound, the, the breathing, the articulation, the tongue, uh, the support and the, the finger, everything was there. And you developed something that was actually sound the, exactly as you wanted. In, in the, the music was speaking. And then you, you remember it. You remember the feeling, how it was. And then you could you could took to, you took it to another level. I think that that's. I mean, this is quite high level. Of course, you have to get everything in order first, of course. But mm-hmm. I think it's an important step to think about because I think uh, a lot of of wind play nowadays sound fantastic, play fantastic, have fantastic technique. And I think this is not only in music. I think it's everywhere. I think it's in, uh, the the old directors are saying the same thing to the to the young director. They have everything. They have the money. They have all the techniques, how to use the cameras. They just don't know what to tell. Yeah. <laughs> so that is a certain. It is a really important question. And I think it's not only for soloists. It's for every single wind place in the orchestra. We are trained to do so much the right thing. We are trained to do smooth thing we are trying to be so elegant in the orchestra and blending so great which is very important but then on top of that we have to also develop something a voice or, or a text we have to use mm-hmm. all, all, all the things to to and also that's what the orchestra wants and the conductor wants in the end they want to have speaking voice in the orchestra and i think nowadays it's it's we have some fantastic players there totally. so that's i think concentrate on that when we when we teach as well um so what's your daily regimen how do you maintain your your technique and take it further yeah that's a great question i should um well uh, for me it always has been uh, like everything we have spoken about uh, i think it's the same thing with, with with practicing i sometimes i feel that i i have to develop everything again uh, and 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 create everything again like uh, I'm, I'm not so good at routines I have routines but I sort of like the way of taking the note again for the first time every single day and I also think that that's the way I play the clarinet I think I'm not so good at uh, having um, lots like 10 exercises and I do them every day and that's how I survive so I'm not a perfect example of having two hours of sound practicing and then go on to the piece or something like that. I do different things every single day, but I certainly have a couple of things that I do every day also. What are those uh, things? <laughs> sorry? What are those things that you do every um, day? It has to do with sound, basically. I do long notes and, and intervals for the intonation, for the for the... Uh, breathing actually for all these kind of letting the air flow through the instrument open up the body we are also that's it's a physical thing to do because the way you are standing when you're playing clarinet everything is could be closed and so you have to concentrate your up open up your body every every single day i think and and try to make that sound 
and, and the breathing, the flow of the breathing, very open. So that's what I'm doing every day. And then I can take a piece and continue with the piece, just practicing super slow and concentrate on the sound, uh, the dynamic and the music, but very, very slow. That's... Uh, uh, and I think that's also, you, you, you're talking about versatile and the curiosity. That's the way of using that tools as well. I'm curious if I can start to play and in the morning I can just develop a new sound tick or this with the breathing or playing, singing or, or articulation, double tongue, beatboxing or whatever. I can just start the day with develop something that I want to achieve with a new playing technique. It's also a way of... of um, not getting not getting bored i think bored your tonguing is so incredibly fast is there how did you do that all the thing that i'm learning uh, which was maybe a long time ago now but i'm i'm still learning so uh, all the thing that i want to to learn is a part of something i have to have to achieve like a piece that is having a fast tongue or a piece that is not possible to do without sacred breathing or a piece that uh, yeah like i develop a piece that has singing and playing at the same time so I, that, that's how i do it and then you are forced to learn it i'm not the guy who stand up and say to myself now i'm going to have a very fast tongue let's see how fast it can get i will practice this for half a year that i've never done that but i don't say that's a bad method but but I always try to do things when I have to learn it because I wanted to use it in a piece. It's very practical mindset. Very, very practical. <laughs> so yeah. we maybe should have asked this earlier when we were talking about gear, but um, you had exposure to both the German and French systems. Is that correct, of clarinet? My teacher was uh, in Hannover, Hans Deinzer. He was playing mm-hmm. German, so I know the German clarinet. Yeah. So that wasn't a decision you made? It just was kind of something that you had started with and stayed with? Yeah, I started and I stayed with it. Okay. Um, you mentioned in the past that you had some, some dark periods with performance anxiety, and I know that for many this would come as a surprise because of your amazing stage presence and confidence. Um, what would you offer as advice to someone with similar anxieties, and how did you get through that yourself? Well, again, what we talked about, I think is this is also an intri- interesting question because, again, um, what you project and what you, how you play doesn't always, you know, match within the, what, what's going on in your body and how you are as a person because I think, and, and it, it's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely self-critic, I think, and and. and get stuck in all kinds of things not only in clarinet play but when I developed my project I, I the last project here with the roots and, and with the genesis I, I remember my brother phoned me up and said because I tell sometimes my friends and my, my, my brothers about my project before it, it before I stage it and then he said do you know what you do you just develop a project and then each day you are you are saying this is not good and then you start all, uh, again from the beginning mm-hmm. and I think that's exactly what I'm doing. For months, I can do that. So um, I think I'm not a good example of, of uh, um, you know, very easygoing confidence. Just go, but that's not your question. Actually, the question was the opposite. What? what? Well, I, I think you sort of answered the question. Are, are you sort of saying that even though you may appear to be very? Um, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say confident, but maybe that's the word. Like you, you look. People find that you look very um, 
there and and confident in the moment, but you're actually still experiencing some of that behind the scenes. Of course, yes, I, I'm always super nervous, and I also uh, I, I also think that well, you find you find your own ways, but but of course, my ways has always been to being extremely. Um, uh, how do you say? And, uh, I have to be very involved in mm-hmm. the music. If I'm not, I am in enormous trouble. If I get, and that's the tricky thing because we are doing the same repertoire all over again. Uh, so, so when I do for for the 15 times Mozart concerto in in, in Concertgebouw, then of course I cannot start to think that oh, let's do this as good as the one before, or I have to do just the normal thing because. That 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 would make me very very nervous to just to do, try to um, uh, repeat the things that so we always do. Do you maybe feel that the self-critical nature? Um, it's it's got to be used productively though. Like you're doing, if you're yeah, critiquing yourself so much, you're obviously doing it in a productive way, not a harmful way. Yes. I, yeah, well, I, 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 I'm aware that I sort of use it in, in good enough so that I, I, I go on, I, I develop. I'm not getting totally stuck. But I think also that um, uh, it is important to my. I'm aware that my nerves and my 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 anxious and my uh, my self criticism has helped me, even though, and it's also helping me still because uh, I. The way that I do projects, or the way I'm doing finding new repertoires, or, or trying to develop things, that has to do with uh, that's not. Well, how can I say this? That's because I'm a worried kind, sort of. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always trying to do things that keep me keep me feeling uh, and uh, fresh. In a way, yeah, fresh, but also keeping keep feeling that what I do is has a sense or uh, feels important for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I, uh, you know, just sitting down and, and do the usual stuff because that makes me sometimes feeling uh, worried. That you you always feel like why I'm doing this? Why am I I'm, I'm playing these pieces mm-hmm. that you have a clear clear. Um, vision and and uh, answer to that. That's important for me, and I'm sure it's very different for 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 each person. Yeah, I um, think people handle this differently. What, so. what, what you're referring to it was a person was a, was a, was a time in my life. I think I was a teenager in the beginning of twenties. That was a very dark time. And these times comes and goes, and I think that has to be like that. So mm-hmm. still, I'm 46 years old, and and. Um, and still have these periods when it comes certain. I can go through months that I am fighting with, with uh, not maybe not motivation, but all kinds of nerves things, or or also motivation. That why why are we doing this? Or the whole sort of the big picture. Why why are we doing this? So we have to go back to the sources. Why did we start to do this? Why why are we so much? Want to play this repertoire and play this planet and practice so much each day. It's important to, to put these questions. This is maybe kind of an odd question or association. I don't know if you're comfortable with this, but um, Glenn Gould. I remember he had quit the stage um, to focus on studio recordings because he sort of felt that the live element is what gave him that sort of nervous edge. 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel it's the live element then that sort of makes you nervous, or you're you're so self aware that it's always when you're performing and playing music? Uh, no, we, well, it's two different things, and I'm mm-hmm. sure when when Gold was um, in in that time. I'm not sure if you could do the same. You mean that I should just uh, go back to my, you know, just go into the studio and stop performing and doing uh, recordings? I, I'm not sure if that would work. Today. Yeah, I guess what I was asking is, it, is it the audience that brings the nerves out of you? or is no, it... no. Yeah, well, well, of course. It's a, and, but it's also the, the, the audience that is, for me anyway, super important, of course. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, I'm not that musician that could all only works with making recordings for for a silent and empty room and um well you said yourself that the purpose of the recording you felt was to take it to live audiences yes yeah. and i think uh, uh the pro- nowadays my last let's say my last three recordings has been the black pipe and the mozart recording and these roots has been with orchestra and me directing mm-hmm. and playing. So that, that also means that I sort of, you know, the, the communication with the musician was really important and, and we had to communicate in so many levels. So I think that was, um, all these recordings were very strong feeling. They didn't feel at all like recording for a silent room. You know, it was very much into a process which I liked. I, I don't know what the question were here, actually, but it was something around um, audience and, and communications. and, and Yeah, it was sort of where, what was the source of the anxiety? And was it the audience or the music itself or, your, or yourself? <laughs> well, it's myself, always myself. And also, uh, as I said, it comes and goes. And I think that has to be like that because you're a human being and you're not a machine. Mm-hmm. So... The last question here, um, someone asked, which I thought was kind of a neat question, what is something you wish people would ask? I think we actually covered a lot of important subjects. So sometimes I thought, thought actually that uh, this is a good question. Okay. Um, what we talked about around, uh, uh, well, all these things, what, what, what you wanted to say and the tools and everything. I think that's important to talk about nowadays because I also think, uh, you know, the, 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 the future of our music and the, the way that the direction we are going to is, is the steps that we, we're taking now. It's important. I think it's, we have to make uh, choices and I, I'm, I feel that I'm doing that uh, mm-hmm. all the time. And I cannot find any good question that I that you didn't ask now that I would like to have right now. Well, if we do a round two, um, there's 40 more. <laughs> yeah, but that's great. That's great. And I also think that it's um, good to speak. I know that people want to have easy answers. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't touch that so much now with the clarinet playing, but um, easy answers around uh, how to play the fastest tongue or the only thing. But it's it's not it's no easy easy question. I think it's uh, curiosity and and wanting to develop something new is the way that you should go. I mean, uh, that's the way I do always. I'm not sure if I was. 
any good at, at, at um, for example, tanning or whatever. I'm just wanting to do it because I need it for a certain piece, for a certain musical purpose, and, and then I learned it. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe it, it, I learned it very slow or fast, I don't know, but it was just that, that I wanted to have it so that's way. Anyway, we can take that in the round two. I would think about it. I would think of a very good question that I haven't got that I want to have for the okay. round two. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, out of respect for your time today, let, let's wrap up then, um, and we'll, we'll 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 do a round two in the future. I'll get in touch. Thanks so much for coming on. It was really fantastic to talk with you today. Hi. Thank you very much. It was a great honor to be here. If you'd like to be eligible to win items mentioned on the Clarinet.com podcast, please be sure to follow on social media. You can have up to six chances to win by signing up for the email mailing list, liking us on Facebook, and following on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you find that you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, students, and colleagues, or anyone who you think might be interested. It would also be a huge help if you leave a review on iTunes, or if you completed the listener survey at Clarinet.com podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.